Praise God. It's important for us to be sensitive during the times of worship. Amen? Thank God that uh, we have a worship team that is sensitive to the Holy Ghost and, and flexible. Amen? So w- what are we here for? Why, why, why did we come here tonight? Wh- who is the central focus? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, having just spent time worshiping, um, I wanted to get into this message as soon as possible because he is the focal point of the series that we're doing these past few weeks and we'll continue next week. Um, as I have shared in the past, these past few weeks, if you saw it from our perspective, when I say our, I'm talking about us in leadership here, the ones that, you know, we're pretty much involved in everything that goes on here on a daily basis, you come to the place sometimes where you start talking about, well, we need to teach on forgiveness and we need to teach on faith and we need to teach on, on provision and we need to teach on peace and we need to teach on the end times. And then you, you throw in the holidays and everything else. And then you get to the point, you go, when was the last time we actually just talked about Jesus? Did you ever notice that? Yes. We get together with people, even you get together with other Christians and start talking about uh, maybe your favorite uh, TV program, and you start talking about what the, ne- what the latest thing that you're binging on Netflix. And, and when do we talk about Jesus? And yet, the scriptures tell us he's the author and the completer, the finisher of our faith. And I don't know what it is. Maybe because we're getting so much closer to the time of his return, it just seems like we should be more sensitive to, to making him the center and the focus and, and the place where we we spend most of our, our time thinking about um, because I think the more we meditate on him and the more we talk about him, the more uh, we, we talk about the word as it reveals him, I think the more we will be actually showing forth his nature. The more we'll be reflecting who we claim that we're worshiping. And, and listen, I, I don't know if you realize this or not. Man, if there's ever a time in human history when, when the world needs to hear about Jesus, it's now. My God, it's now. Um, every day is something else. One of our staff members the other day was having a conversation, I believe, with Pastor Kathy. He said, I made the mistake of turning the news on. Now, we need to be aware so that we know how to pray. But let's be careful to, to so much. of Now, listen, don't go to one extreme from the other. It's not good to be completely obsessed. And I found myself doing that these past few weeks, just constantly getting a feed of info. Why? Because I'm looking at the news with the scriptures in one hand and looking at the television with the other and going, yep, they just checked off that box. They checked off that box. But then, you know, it's no good to go to the opposite extreme and go, well, it's got nothing to do with me. We're not going to be here when this happens, so we don't care. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the day's going to come when the rapture of the church is going to take place, and we're as close as we've ever been in human history. But what about the people that are going to get left behind? What about the ones that don't know anything right now? What about the ones that just, their life is so caught up in everything else? And you mentioned, you mentioned the second coming of Christ, and they look at you and kind of reminds you of what the people must have looked at Noah how they responded to him when they said, get in the ark because it's going to rain. And they went, <laughs> so water's going to come from the sky. 
And, you look, and you're looking at me like they looked at him because the water had never come from the sky before. Go read your Bible. Okay, God created the earth in such a way where it watered from beneath. So when they said, when he said, it's going to rain, what's rain? And when we say, well, there's going to be a rapture, and most Christians say, what do you mean rapture? That word's not even in the scripture. Yeah, well, when you read it in English, it's not. But if you read it in the original languages, you'll understand that the word is very much there. And then on the other side of the, that subject, neither is the word Trinity. But we know the Trinity exists, yes or no? Yes. But go find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not there, but the concept is. And so in our English Bibles, the word rapture might not be there, but the concept is. In Greek, it's the catching away. Okay? And that's what the next thing on God's calendar is for the church. Okay? But we got a whole lot of things to take care of before we leave. It's almost like when you're going to go on vacation. Do you just worry about going on vacation? Do you just leave your house a mess? Some people look at each other like, don't answer that question. <laughs> now, usually, you know, I know in my house, it's a big burden when we got to go on vacation. Because you got to make sure everything is okay at home first. And then we can leave. Well, that's the same idea we have to have. That's the same concept we have to follow. We got to make sure that we're leaving something behind that those that get born again after the rapture can just walk right in. And truthfully, I was having this conversation with somebody this week, and I said, I believe with all my heart that's why the Lord designed us to have three campuses. That's why we have three campuses. And that's why we, 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 we believe like we're leaving today, but we're planning like we'll be here for the next 100 years. Because there's going to be a whole group of people that are going to need to, well, just leave the key under the mat, I guess. Just tell them, give them, give them the code for the alarm and go, hey, there it is. The office is over there. The classrooms are already. We're gone. We're going. Goodbye. But you can use the property. Amen. Amen. So I keep hearing ministers. So I'm going to get in the message. Don't worry about it. I keep hearing these ministers uh, on TV uh, talking about, I don't know how to say this diplomatically. We're in a season where just people just talk. And you wonder sometimes where it's coming from, if it's just television time to fill. But right now, the main focus needs to be on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Amen. And we need to be prepared to leave a generation behind us that's going to be able to do not. Now, I'm not talking about generation believers. I'm talking about information for those who will be ready. See, what I keep hearing on TV is we got to pray because the greatest harvest that's ever going to come, we need to have that harvest come in so the church get raptured. No, that harvest comes in after the rapture. Because what's going to be the greatest sign to all those in your family that up until this point don't believe, don't care, don't want to hear anything, but you keep telling them, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The church, believers are going to get raptured. There's going to, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be out of here. And they go, ha, 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 ha. Right? What are they going to do when that happens? That's when the greatest harvest is going to come in. That's when the good day, 20 minutes after the rapture takes place, this place is going to get full again. You listening? 
And there won't be the mockers because it will have happened. And they'll know. What we got to do is wait seven years from this minute and Jesus will be here. So, so believers, now I'm going to quote the church because the church is in heaven at that point. But believers that get born again, that assemble themselves anywhere over the, around the earth, those individuals, they'll know we got seven years to the minute. Seven years. We say, well, we don't know the day of the hour. Yes, of the rapture. But the generation that's on the earth, when the rapture takes place, they will know the day and the, up to the moment of his second coming, of his return. Why? All they got to do is, okay, the rapture took place at 20 to 7 on Saturday night. 2023. What's today's date? October what? No, November. Well, I lost a week. Today's November the 3rd, right? Fourth. Jesus, and we didn't even change the clock yet. So let's say if we get raptured tonight within the next five minutes, okay? The rest of the world's going to go, okay. Seven years from now, he'll be showing up. Seven years from now, his feet will touch the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And that mountain is going to split right in half. And man, there, there will not be any unbelievers at that time. Now, there'll be those who will reject, even though they see it in front of their eyes, but there will not be any unbelievers. They'll know because they'll see it, because they said every eye is going to see when he returns. Amen? Amen. So, these past few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. He is the cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone is? Cornerstone is the thing that you better get right. That is the thing that needs to be completely accurate. Its position needs to be completely true because everything you build is going to be affected by the accuracy of that stone. It is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of Judaism. He is the cornerstone of Christianity. He's the cornerstone in the life of every believer. And we should know who he is. Amen? Amen? So, the most important thing. He's our cornerstone. Anything in our lives that's worth building must be founded upon him. His love, his character, and his purpose. Now, last week, I don't have time to go into a whole lot of review, but last week we saw how Jesus was able to bring a broken, damaged woman into a place of dignity and purpose. The way that Jesus interacted with the woman at the well in Samaria will be remembered for all of eternity because we saw him lift her out of a life filled with wounds and scars by revealing himself to her. Now, I don't know about you, but that's how my life got out of the dump that it was in, the garbage heap that it was in, the filth and, and disgrace that it was in. It wasn't because somebody came and counseled me. It wasn't because somebody handed me a book uh, back then, a cassette tape, or they told me about, well, there was no internet then. But so, see, we want to, instead of introducing people to Jesus, we want to introduce them to a concept. But my life changed on April the 25th, 1984, Wednesday night, 9.30 at night, because Jesus revealed himself to me. People's lives don't change because you introduce them to something to do on a Sunday morning, a Saturday night, a Wednesday night. 
People's lives change because they, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gets revealed to us. Our eyes are open. Our soul is open. Our spirit is hungry for him. Are you listening? Let's stop, stop making it about everything else. Stop making it about a, 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 a self-help thing. So many people, I'm not talking about anybody here tonight because you wouldn't do such a thing. So many people, they, they run to church. They're not running to Jesus. They're running to church because I got to get my life together. Well, what happens then when you get your life together? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to hell that got their lives together. But did you get a revelation of him? Do you know heart to heart who he is? Have you had that kind of experience where your spirit came alive and your soul is in the process of being transformed because you met a person, not because you came? It's inevitable. Pastor Caps here, Pastor Tom, my wife, Pastor Mike, Cindy's here, Pastor Joy, I've been here since day one. Anytime we've had events in the past, and we've asked individuals, usually it's a small group of people, why don't you tell us about yourself? Why don't you tell us how you came to the Lord? What do they always start out with? When I came to this church. No, no, we didn't ask you when you came to this church. Are you catching what I'm saying? And they, they don't get it. And they say, well, I came to church. My friend invited me. I came here. I love the music. And what if the music was bad? Well, we love the teaching. Well, what if the teaching was bad? What would you do then? Go to hell because the church was inferior to what it should have been? Stop just inviting people to have an experience at church. Introduce them to Jesus. I thank God for the woman that spent two and a half hours with me. And at the end of March of 1984, she didn't introduce me to her. I didn't even know where she went to church. I ended up going to the wrong church because she never told me what church she went to. She told me about Jesus. She didn't tell me about her church. She didn't tell me about all the cute lights in her. She didn't tell me, she didn't tell me about the seats, how comfortable they are. She didn't even tell me about the chocolate chip cookies after the service. She told me about Jesus. And my heart lit on fire. Because I thought I knew him. And all I knew was pictures in stained glass windows, statues, candles, rituals, traditions, superstitions. We need to know him. Please pay attention in this series. Please go back and listen to the other messages. This woman at the well, he didn't invite her to the temple. They were having an argument about whose temple to go to anyway. He said to her, the day's coming and now is. Well, you're not going to worship on this temple and this mountain. And to this day, that temple in Samaria, there's still priests that worship on, the, on that mountain in Samaria. They're still arguing about where you should go worship. He said, the, the, the day's going to come. It doesn't matter if you go to this temple, to the one in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you go to Rome. In our case, it doesn't matter if you go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Springfield, Missouri, if you came out of Assemblies of God. It's not the Vatican, okay? It's because we met a person. The way he interacted with her, the way he took her out of a shameful situation for all of eternity, that story's going to be told. 
We love him because he first loved us. We love him because, watch this now, just like with that woman, she came up with story after story after story, and he's going, yeah, 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 yeah. How about we get to the root of the problem? He said to her, get your husband. She said, I don't have any husband. He goes, you're right, you don't have any husband. You've had five of them, and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. Well, it doesn't matter that we didn't get married in front of a person. We love each other. Go talk to Jesus, because he told this woman, the person you're living with is not your husband. All right. Do what you want with it. But watch this now. She's a basket case. She's a mess. Go listen to the message from last week. But look at the mercy of God. See, what we would have did and what we do is go, bless your heart. And this is what we'll say about people who are a mess. But they're trying. You know, let's, let's give them grace. And so then we let people stay in their sin. I'm, I'm making some people mad tonight. Okay. If you don't call it sin, it doesn't qualify for grace. But watch this now. Jesus, Jesus was gracious with her, but he didn't let her hide behind her functionality. She knows her life is a mess. She knows she's doing wrong. If she didn't think she was doing wrong, she wouldn't have went out to the well at 12 noon when it's the hottest part of the day. She went to the well at that time because she doesn't want to be confronted by the wives of the other guys that she's been friendly with. Nobody had to tell her her life is, but she's functioning. She's acting like everything's okay. And as soon as he locates her, she switches the conversation to this religious discussion. Do you remember the story? If not, go, go read John chapter four. Amen. But the mercy of God is this. He won't let you settle into your functionality. Even just because you can keep functioning, he's not gonna leave you there. Amen. And so he presses the issue and presses the issue and presses the issue. And then finally, she comes face to face with the Messiah. She goes, well, I know, you know, you may know a few things, and I guess you're a prophet, but you know, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna know all things. And what does he say? Sweetie, I who speak to you am he. What does she do? Next thing she does is she puts the water pot down that she's so interested in. Gotta get water, gotta get water, gotta get water. My husband wants lemonade. My living boyfriend, she, no, 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 we don't say that. We say fiance. Is this too real tonight? We say, so now I'm stuck here when I hear this fiance thing because I don't see a ring. And I go, well, maybe they just got engaged. Should I say congratulations? He didn't leave her behind her mask. He forced her to come out from behind that mask. And when she realizes... She puts down the water pot, she goes into the city, and she talks to the guys. And what do they do? They all come out. Now they're, now they're face to face with the Messiah. And it's got nothing to do with her, because they say, we believe in him now, not because of what you said, 
but because we hear him for ourselves. Don't you know that's what we, you and I are supposed to be doing? Amen. We introduce the lost to him so that they can hear from him directly, not just from us. We like when people become believers through us because we want to be the center of attraction. Just hand them over. Hand them off to Jesus. Hand them off to Jesus. Come on, come. What she say? Come meet him. She said to the guys in, in Samaria, in, the, in Sikhar, in the village, come and meet a guy who told me everything about my life. That literally happened to me. When I've given my testimony, I've mentioned the fact that I was catering a wedding for 400, over 400 Christians. They were so sneaky, they prayed for us before the wedding started. <laughs> Me and all my crew in the kitchen preparing the food for their reception. They know we're all lost. I was two weeks away from suicide. And they're sneaky. They got the whole 400 people together and prayed for the guys in the kitchen. And if that wasn't enough, this woman, because this was like her, she was a widow like two times before she got married, the wedding that I was preparing the food for. Her daughter's in her early 20s. At some point in the party, she walks in the kitchen with a piece of yellow legal pad and she says to me, she's got to fold it up, and she says to me, the Lord told me to give this to you. Now, mind you, I'm not born again yet. I'm realizing there's something to this thing. I open up that piece of paper, and I had that piece of paper up until we moved to Tulsa. I got lost in the move. So for 11 years, I held on to that. I opened up that piece of paper, and what was written in there was things about my life that nobody knew. Amen. Not even my wife. So I know what she meant when she said, come meet a guy who told me everything about my life. Jesus. Jesus. He's 100% God, 100% man. Because he is the great I am, He's the eternal, ever-living, self-sufficient God of the universe. And because he is, he can bounce in and out of time anytime he wants. And that's why you see him in the Old Testament. Now, he's not called Jesus. He's called the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's armies. But he's there. He is very naturally supernatural. And because he's love, I want you to listen now, he takes what is ordinary and makes it extraordinary. I'm going to say it again. If you don't know that part of Jesus, you don't know him yet. He takes what is ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. John chapter 2, verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. In fact, I've read this on more than one occasion. Some Bible teachers believe that this is the Apostle John's wedding. I don't know if it is or not. We'll find out when we get to heaven. 
But it, it'd be interesting if it was, okay? Now, and when they ran out of wine, oh my God, I just got it. Go back to verse one. Verse one. On the third day. Third day of what? Thank you. On the third day of the wedding. <laughs> Why? Because they ran out of wine. On what day? And the weddings back then used to last seven days. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Let's go. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, now, that might sound disrespectful today, but it wasn't disrespectful then, okay? Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, this is, this is before he gets baptized, I guess. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Keep going. Now they were set, they were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some, some water out and take it to the master of the feast, the, the, the maitre d', okay? And they took it. Now, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. Is there another verse after that? So, Jesus comes to the rescue. Yes or no? Yes. All right, let's talk about this. His compassion, watch, watch, watch. Who did the master of the ceremonies, who did the master of the feast go to when he tasted the wine? The bridegroom. The bridegroom. Why? Because the bridegroom in those times was responsible to supply the wine for how many days? Seven days. Seven days. This is going to be a major humiliation for this bridegroom. This is going to be the topic of discussion in that village and the villages around this for generations. Let's bring it, to, let's bring it down to reality here. Have you ever been to a bad wedding? Yes. Just a couple of people. Have you ever been to a bad wedding? Yes. I'm talking about the reception. Yes. In our early years when we first got married, I think it was just a few months after we got married, my wife's cousin's getting married in Butler, Pennsylvania. Does anybody know where Butler, Pennsylvania? It's on the other side of the world. Okay? So you, might as well, you might as well be overseas. You might as well be in Africa or Europe. It's on the other side of the world. We drive. Now, we're newlyweds. The last thing I want to do is be driving all over the world. Okay? We're newly. We go to her cousin's wedding. Okay? It's, a, I believe it's, yeah, it's cold country out there. Uh, you come from over there? You come from that way, okay? So, so we're sleeping in a hotel, and we're hearing these 
things going off because the shifts are running 24-7. I mean, we're in the middle of all the coal mines, okay? We go to this church, and it was, I don't know, I, don't, I wasn't born again yet. I'd never been in a Protestant church before except for my wife's Lutheran churches. And I'm like, this is a wedding ceremony? All right. So now it gets better. We go to, was it in the church? It was like in a hall, right? <laughs> On the table, there's a oven, like a turkey roaster pan. Now, there's almost 200 people there. There's one turkey roaster pan with macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Do I need to go any further? If you come, especially if you come from our background, macaroni and cheese, sliced ham, and some dinner rolls. Now, we weren't saved then. If you, no, so now, these are supposed to be Christians, okay? Because it was in a, I found out later it was a Methodist church. Never been in a Methodist church before. So they don't drink unless you want to pay for it. There's a bar over there. If you want to drink, you go pay for your own drink. I'm at your wedding, and I got to pay for my own drink. Does anybody know where I'm going with this? Okay. So my immediate thought, I'm not born again. Don't judge me. I'm still in my old psyche. I'm like, give me that envelope. Oh, no, because, you see, we put an envelope together with the type of wedding we thought we were going to. This is a macaroni and cheese and ham and little dinner roll wedding. Give me that envelope. Who knows what I'm talking about? And if you go way back, you did it under the table while everybody's dancing. Or there's, a whole, there's like six people in the, in the bathroom going through their envelopes. Okay, because you're like, no. So you can imagine now what's going to happen to this bridegroom. These people got seven days to decide how much is going in that envelope. And there's no wine. This is a major disgrace. Okay? And so you sit there, and if you read this at face value, you go, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. I don't understand this, right? Because what happens now? We see, after the whole thing's over with, the servants knew what happened. The bride and groom, they're like, they don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, the family. See, now, not only would the bridegroom have been taught, worse yet, his family would have been disgraced. If they've got other kids, nobody's marrying into this family after they see that wedding. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot at stake here. But there's so much more under the surface, okay? Because the wine came there to begin with. There was wine previously, right? Yes. So that wine had to come in some type of containers, yes or no? Yes. Barrels, jugs, whatever. So the discreet thing would have been if Jesus would have said to the servants, go get the empty barrels, Fill them up with water so that nobody knows what's going on here. He doesn't do that. He tells them, get the six pots that are by the front door, the ones that everybody scoops the water out to wash their hands, and the one that everybody's washing their feet with, go fill those up with water. Why? Because he's got a lesson to teach here. See, there was nothing special about that water. 
You just wash your hands and wash your feet. There's no anointing oil. There's no fragrance. It's not like the flavored water we serve out here sometimes, you know, with the strawberry floating around and the cucumber slices. It's just plain water. Plain. Now, imagine these servants. I could imagine these servants the next morning going to find Jesus and go, I don't know what you're doing, but we want to come with you. Because they knew what happened. Now, watch this now. By, by command of the law of Moses, these people have to wash their hands when they come in, wash their feet every day. As they're coming into the banquet, they, got, they cannot eat. They can't, even, they can't even come in unless they wash their hands, wash their feet. Okay? Why did Jesus choose these stone vessels? Because he takes what is ordinary and makes it extraordinary. The connoisseur, what do you call that? The person that specializes in wine? Sommelier? Whatever. The guy who's the expert on the wine. He tastes this water that everybody's supposed to wash their hands with. And he goes to the bridegroom and goes, man, I've been to a lot of weddings. But boy, usually you put the really good stuff out the first couple of days. And after everybody's like, then you bring out the cheap stuff. You bring the gallow out and the, the Boone's Farm in a paper bag. He goes, but you, you saved the best for last. Why? Because he takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. They were used to being cleansed by this water, but he's setting them up because he's the water that's going to cleanse them. He's trying to show, this is under command of Moses, you have to do this, but one greater than Moses is here. And listen to me. I'm not going to drag this point out because I think you got it already. He takes what's ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. He took the woman at the well who had a horrible reputation in that town and took her and restored her dignity and took a person who was aimless. The only purpose is to try to hide her, her past and hide her current lifestyle. And he made an evangelist out of her. And she's responsible for getting the word of God into the area of Samaria. And if you go read Acts chapter 9, when the apostles get to Samaria, after Jesus is risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, there is a revival that breaks out in Samaria like has never happened before and may have never happened since then. Because of the seeds that were planted in the hearts of the men from a woman who had a horrible reputation who nobody wanted to bother with. Even her own husband didn't even come out to help her with those heavy jars of water that she had to drag back to the house. But he took that life that was filthy, took that life that was degenerate, and he changed her. Would you look around, please? Because he did the same thing to every single one of us in this room. He takes what is ordinary, and he makes it extraordinary. He takes what is natural and he puts his supernatural upon it. 
Are you Go ahead, give it up for him. He is the one who cleanses. He is the one. Not, not the law. Not the trying, that, that washing of the hands and washing of the feet, you know what it represents? Us trying to get our act together. Us trying to get rid, get out from under the addiction. Us trying to get out from under the wounds. Us trying to try to get to a place that it is impossible for us in our own strength to get to. That's what that washing of the hands. That was that washing of the feet. He's going, this worked up until now? But from this point forward, it ain't working anymore. Fast forward to the Last Supper. Jesus goes, gets a towel, goes, gets water. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And what does Jesus say? You don't understand what I'm doing now, but in the future you'll understand what I'm doing. So then Peter goes, Peter goes, no, then give me a whole bath. He goes, no, no, you don't need a whole bath because I've cleansed you. But every once in a while you pick some stuff up in this life. He said, it's enough if I wash your feet. Because how many would agree? Since you got born again, you're still living in this life and we still pick up some stuff. Okay, because most of them walked around barefoot back then. Okay, and most of them lived in villages that most of the occupation were what? Shepherds. You ever see those pictures even today in the Middle East? We've got these, or even in Europe. Uh, I remember being in Europe. I remember being in Italy. I remember being in my father's hometown. And early in the morning, hearing that, and this stupid bell around their neck, it's driving you crazy. So imagine the aftermath of them passing through the village. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and they're walking around barefoot, squish, squish, squish. Have you realized in this life, even though we get born again, we get cleansed? We get put into this place of righteousness. We can stand before God without any sense of guilt or condemnation. But unless you die five minutes after you get born again, guess what? You're going to walk through life and it's going to be, say it with me, squish, squish. He washes us. He cleanses us. The word of God is the water that washes us and cleanses us. He is that water. No more, no more relying on our own good deeds. No more relying. Well, well, you know, Pastor, I read through the Bible three times this year. That's good. That's awesome. But what was the motivation for doing that? So you can come and tell me that you read through the Bible three times this year? Or tell your friends or tell somebody else, sir? What, what are we doing? What are we doing? When are we going to start measuring our motives? When are we going to start being honest about ourselves? When are we going to start taking inventory? When are we going to stop being religious and start, start acting like we're in relationship with a God who's very much alive, who very much loves us, who's not handing out little gold stars? How many of you in elementary? I went to Catholic school, elementary school, Catholic school. We had gold stars, we had silver stars, and we had blue stars. I don't remember what the blue star was for. I don't know what that was. 
Red Star, I think they figured you're going to hell, so that's it. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Good deeds. Good. You're such a good boy. You're a good boy today, Joseph. Good boy. No, we laugh, but that's how we live sometimes. That's how we live sometimes. We're putting more emphasis on our good deeds than we do with our just having a relationship with him who loves us and knows everything about us. And see, the trouble is, that's who we're projecting to the world is the God of the good deeds, not the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of compassion. The God who takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. I told this story a few times over the years, probably more than a few times. Some of you could repeat it back to me. About the last month of our Bible school, when we were in Tulsa, there was a young man, in fact, he was from New Jersey, young guy, probably in his early 20s. And man, in the beginning of the second year, the way it was, and from what I understand, it's still set up this way. You go to your first year, everybody has pretty much the same classes. When you start second year Bible school there, you have to declare what field you're going into. So I went into the pastor's group. My wife went into the helps group. Pastor Cap went into the pastor's group. So we have one course to study. So we're, did you have to preach the first, the second year? You did too. So everybody coming back to the second year, the first quarter, you have to preach a sermon. So you've got the whole summer pretty much to prepare because we're off in the summer. So we, when we come back that year, we came back the first quarter, this young man, I believe he was from the Trenton area, okay? He gets up and he preaches. Man, he knocked it out of the park. I remember writing in my notebook, have this guy come and preach at your church in the future. That's how good it was. But towards the end of the year, we're like the second week before graduation, and I saw him in one of the assemblies, uh, and I went up to him, I go, bro, I didn't see you teach because you got to do it in the, in the first quarter, and then you have to do it again in the last quarter. And so he puts his head down, and he goes, I'm just not at that place with God. And I went, what? What are you talking about? Well, you know, I haven't been living right. I said, so what are you going to do after we graduate and get out there? Are you going to go minister if you feel okay with God? And if you don't feel okay with God, you're not going to minister? What, what, what about the people? I said, when did this become about you? When did this become about what you can accomplish? It's not about us. Well, I'm just not in that place right now. Get in that place. Is your sin stronger than the mercy of God? Is your sin stronger than the grace of God? You didn't think he knew you were going to do that when he went to the cross 2,000 years ago? Of course he did. It's not about us. Two weeks before this church started, I got on the phone with Pastor David DeMola from Faith Fellowship at the time. He's in heaven now. He said to me, uh, I'm going to tell you something right now. Two, two important things he said. Number one, he said to me, Joe, listen to me. Preach the word, love the people you'll never want for a crowd. People will come. Preach the word. And love the people, and you'll never want for a crowd. Second thing he said to me, now listen to me. I'm telling you right now because it's going to happen. 
there's going to be Sundays. Of course, back then we only had service on Sunday. He said, there's going to be Sundays where you don't feel qualified to get behind that pulpit. He goes, you get behind there anyway. He said, because it's the grace of God that equips you, not your own self-worth, not your own good deeds. It is the grace of God that equips you. Honey, that doesn't go just for a person standing behind the pulpit. You and I get up every day, regardless of what kind of day we started out with, regardless of what kind of day we had before, week before. Why? Because he takes what's ordinary and makes it extraordinary. But watch this now. But if the ordinary doesn't make itself available to him, then he cannot make it extraordinary. Who had the greatest faith at the wedding of Cana? The servants that filled the water pots. They knew they were out of wine. They knew what those water pots were for. He said to them, fill up the water pots. And they went, what? What did his mother say? Whatever he tells you to do, do. Wasn't the disciples that had the faith? It wasn't the wedding guests. It wasn't the bride and groom. It wasn't their families. The ones who really operated in faith that day were the guys who had to fill up those, and you're talking about big water pots, 25 gallons apiece. They made what was ordinary available to the one who could make it extraordinary. What have you held back? What have you said, I'm not up to that. I can't do that. I can't tell you how many times, and might be, some of you might be in here, but we've asked, you know, we need some help in the children's. We need some people to teach the children's classes. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I didn't ask you if you could do it. Why don't you make your ordinary available to the one who can make it extraordinary? Why don't you make... The, the water that you are available to him so he can turn you into new wine. You listening to me? What are you holding back? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. But I will say this to you, based on the word and based on my own personal experience, if you'll make yourself available, he'll take what is extremely ordinary and he'll make it extraordinary. I'll read you one last scripture and then we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of, of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. He takes what is ordinary, and he makes it extraordinary. Just stand up, please. Number one, if you're here tonight and you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I cannot do it for you. 
God can't even do it for you. Only you can do it for you. It has to be your free choice. It has to be an act of your will. It has got to come from a heart that is saying on the inside, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he's the son of God. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I believe that he is the lamb of God who took away my sins. If you believe that, yet you have never, you cannot point to a day in your life in the past where you said, Jesus, come into my heart. I put my trust in you. I believe in you. I declare my faith in you. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross as payment for my sins, and I believe that you rose from the dead. If you can't honestly point to a time in your life where that happened, I'm going to ask you tonight to make sure that you get, you stir yourself up, and you get bold. And when we're dismissed in a few minutes, you come up here and you let somebody pray with you and pray that simple prayer, receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the next thing, and this is going to be without any pomp and ceremony and music and all this other kind of stuff, if you know that you know that you've been holding back, that you've been unwilling to make your ordinary available to him so he can make it extraordinary. I don't know what area of life that's in. I have no idea. It's between you and God. But if that's you, I know this. You need to make that available tonight to him before you leave this place. If that's you and you want to take a step of faith and make yourself available for whatever the next step that God has for you. And let me just give you a hint. If you have felt stagnant, it is probably because there's an area that you have not surrendered to him. And guess what? He stands there and goes, I got all eternity. When you're ready to turn this over to me, when you're ready to surrender, when you're ready to make, make yourself available to me, I'll be right here. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to take a step of faith. We're not doing anything spectacular, just giving you an opportunity to respond. If that's you, get out of your seats and just come up here and tell him, I'm here for you. I'm available to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Michael, where are you? Get up here. Let's sing God is so good again. Anybody else? Look, I'm telling you, you're at a crossroads tonight. Let me just warn you ahead of time. This isn't one of those things you go, well, maybe next time. No, no, no. You're at a fork in the road now. If you know you're supposed to be up here and you don't, now you have established a negative track record in your life and it's going to get harder the next time. Just move up, just move up, just move up. Look, I'm not looking for numbers and I'm not looking for people to just pack the front here. I'm looking to give an opportunity for people to say, here I am. I know I'm as plain as water, but here I am. Here I am. Move up, please. Move up, please. Anybody else? This is not, this is between you and God. I would suggest just put your hands up. Just put your hands up. And you, on your own, just say to him, God, I surrender to you. Whatever it is you want, 
whatever change, whatever opportunity you're about to present to me, I'm here. Can we sing that? Can you, can you out there in your seats, can you sing that with these up here? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the honesty of your people. God, listen to me, people at your seats. If your heart's pounding out of your chest and your palms are sweaty and your stomach is cramped up, I think that'd be a good idea to get out of your seat and come up here. Okay, those of you that are up front here, lift both hands up to the Lord. Say this to me, Father, I surrender to you. Whatever I've been holding back, I make it available to you. I know in me, there's nothing good. Only you. I acknowledge that good thing that's in me by Christ Jesus. I make myself available to you. Do whatever you want. Bring me wherever you want. Assign me whatever you want. I'm yours. I make myself available to you. I turn my back on everything of the past. All of my insecurities. All of my inferiority. All of my lack. All of my inability. All of my weaknesses. All of my character flaws. I put everything in your hands. Use me for your glory. That you be magnified in my life. In this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, stop right there. Don't make, another, don't make another sound. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every person that came forward, Father. Lord, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them like never before. Father, your word tells us that faith pleases you. These people got out of their seats and come up here by faith. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. You said you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would begin to step on the steps on the path of that which you have for them, for their future, that your plan would be fulfilled in their lives, God. In the name of Jesus, Father. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. Empower them to fulfill your desire, Father. Anoint them, Father God, to fulfill your plan. Father, let there be an overflow of your spirit in the name of Jesus upon each and every one of them, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Father. Fulfill your plan in their lives, God. Fulfill your plan, Father in their lives, God. Give them the boldness that they need, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Father. In the name of Jesus, Father. Living sacrifices. Placing themselves on the altar, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Fulfilled. Hallelujah. 
Now, come on, lift your hands up to the Lord and tell him thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the glory goes to you, Father. All the honor goes to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you tonight, Father. We bless you tonight, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, my God. Watch what he does now. Watch what he does now. Praise God. All right, listen, if you need prayer for anything else that wasn't addressed tonight, come on up. There's people who pray for you. If not, God bless you. You're dismissed. If you desire to pray that prayer to receive Christ, come up here. Tell the people that are up here, I want to pray to receive Jesus. Amen.